Here in chapter 5, Paul um, discusses, you see there in verse number 1, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, he talks about, uh, about the tabernacle, uh, this tabernacle. He's talking about the body, a house. <coughs> Sorry. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that is, our, our body, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So throughout this here chapter, He's talking about the body, and he comes there in verse number 10 to make this uh, application. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So Paul brings us here to the judgment seat of God on that day of judgment. And we're going to be all there that we, we may, that we may receive the things done in this body. So our bodies. So whether you have done that which is good or whether you've done that which is bad. And that is the same for everyone. There's only two groups. Those which have done good and those which have done bad. Now we all know that nobody can do good of themselves. But the Bible tells us without faith it is impossible to please God. But we can please God if we have our faith placed in Jesus Christ. And those are that, that, that group is those who we're talking about. The people who are saved and are trusting in Jesus Christ. But then you have the other group, those who have done that which is bad, who have refused uh, Jesus as their saviour, have refused to turn from their sin, and they shall receive their due reward. You have the ones who will receive from God eternal life, which is the reward given to us because of our, what our saviour has done for us. And then you'll have those who receive their just wages, those who have worked for it worked in sin, for, this, for the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, and they'll receive their wages, which is, um, which is death, and that's not just physical death, but eternal death in hell. So then Paul goes on in verse number 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. There is a terror of the Lord. Some men would like to say, God is love, and if you just show your love to your fellow neighbor, God will love you and he, he'll take you to heaven at the last. But that is not the truth of the word of God. Because it says here, Paul tells us, there is a terror of the Lord, not to those who are in Christ Jesus, but to those who are outside of him. There, it is a terrifying thing to be in your sin and standing before a holy God on that judgment day. And, and Paul, or the writer of the Hebrews here in chapter 10, he talks about this same thing. Hebrews 10, verse 28, it says, He that, des he that despised Moses', Moses law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, that hath saith, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There is terror for those out of Jesus Christ. Because there's people here tonight, and I know if I, if I had a snake in my hand here in this pulpit this evening, people would be terrified. They would be out of their mind in terror. But we're not talking about a bite in the hand. We're talking about eternal punishment in hell forever. 
If our minds can't even understand how awful it would be to stand in our sin before the God that says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The almighty, infinite God of heaven, that you will stand before it one day, who will judge you for your sin. And you will deserve all the judgment that you receive if you will not trust in Jesus Christ. But that is not the gospel. That is not where God leaves us. He doesn't just come and declare you are being judged and that is that. Rather, God gives us the gospel. And this is what Paul then goes on to talk about later on in the chapter. If you look at verse 18, he says, um, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So God, in his mercy, has given over this message of the gospel, this message of reconciliation, to men to preach the word of God. He said he's received the ministry of reconciliation. And he goes on then, verse 20, to describe a little bit what, that's, what that is. So, in verse 20, we read, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. So, God has placed, throughout this world, ambassadors, summoned to go and speak on his behalf. And these ambassadors of Jesus Christ have a message as though they're standing um, in the very place of God. It says there um, in verse 20, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray in Christ's stead. In, in the place of Christ, he has given us the message of the gospel. And this is what he has for us to proclaim. This is what God has his ambassadors to tell a needy world. And it is here at the end of verse 20, we'll have this wonderful statement. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. This is what we all need, to be reconciled to God. And it's not a harsh God, it's a God of love. Read there that, that word, that, the word that stood out to me. God did beseech. It's not that God did just um, have an offer on the side. It's as though God's pleading with our souls. He's beseeching us. And then we pray you, there's this word of emphasis, we, it's, it's of utmost importance that you don't leave this undone. It's like God is pleading with your soul. Be reconciled to God. Now we need reconciled to God. Now reconciliation is really just the bringing together of someone who once was friends before, but they've become enemies. And now we have this command, this command of God that we need to be reconciled to him. We'll have um, God, the sinners in one hand and the holy God in the other. And how can this possibly be that there can be reconciliation, that there can be friendship again between these two parties? Well, it's what Paul has told us here. That in verse number 18, who hath reconciled to us, to, who, is re, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. We are enemies of God because we have sinned. The Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And no one's any different. We all have done um, sin against God. We've all broken his law. And we need to be reconciled to him. But how can this possibly be? How can it be that a sinner can be right with God? That is a question that many men have asked down through the years. How can a man be right with God? And the answer that Paul gives is in verse 21. 
For he hath made, for he that is God, hath made him, that is Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The only way we can be reconciled is through Jesus Christ. We, in the gospel, it is a gospel of, of free grace, not a gospel of works. We don't point to this church. We don't say, come join this place. We don't say, be a member here. We don't say, go um, climb up this mountain or do this work or be faithful, give money in the local congregation. There's nothing we bring to tell you, do this and you'll be reconciled with God. There's no other way. There's only one way that God has said, and it is here in verse 21. There's only one way, and that is because we need our sin dealt with, and we cannot take our own sin away because we are sinful. How can it possibly be that a sinner can't do anything to merit salvation? Because, as I've said before, without faith, it is impossible to please God. God will not be pleased with you because our righteousness, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before God. God does not accept us, and he never will, but he does accept his Son. Jesus Christ, who's, who's um, talked about here in verse number 21, he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin. That, that first word, sin, it says, for he hath made him to be sin. That word sin there has the idea of the sin offering, which takes us back to Leviticus, which talks about the sin offering. And there, the, in Leviticus, we read of the animal coming in, and the sinner must place his hand on that animal, that his sin would be transferred to the count of the animal. And God hath made Jesus Christ to be that animal, that our sin that we have done, we as it were, as Silas has been reading about, on the, our Saviour on the cross, in those hours of darkness, our sin, it was as though we put our hand on, our, on the Saviour on the cross. And we, and our sin that we have done, was given to him. And this is what we need. We need our sinfulness, our wrong, all the bad things that we have done, we need it taken from us, taken from our account and given to Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, who was perfect, who was without spot, who no sin was found in Jesus Christ. The perfect, perfect substitute on the cross is the only way we can be saved because we need our sin taken from our souls and placed on the account of Jesus Christ. This is, there's a great transaction that says in this, in this verse. We see the sin taken from the sinner and placed on Jesus Christ. But then if we look on the verse, it says of how the righteousness of God um, is taken from the righteousness that Jesus has is placed then to our account. Because we not only need our sins forgiven, but we need a perfect righteousness because not that defileth can enter into heaven. God will not accept us unless we have a perfect righteousness. And we have that in Jesus Christ because he knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is the way we come. This is the only way we can come to a righteous God. This is the only way that we can be reconciled to God is by having our sin taken from us and put to the account of Jesus Christ and us having his righteousness. And how can this be done? Jesus gave us the answer. This is the gospel that he preached everywhere he went. It was repent and believe the gospel. It was turn around from your sin. We all are sinners, but we must turn from our sin. 
If we hold on to our sins, say, well, I'll have God in one hand, but my sin in the other, there is no salvation for you. But it's for those who will come and say, I have sinned and I have done wrong. I have broken God's law. I am vile in his sight for all the sins that I have done. And you simply put your faith in Jesus that as we, have, we put our faith in him, we believe with all our heart that he takes away that wickedness from our souls and that he is placed on Jesus Christ on the cross, that his blood, it cleanses us from every sin. The Bible tells us if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is what Paul is saying here. So we have this in verse number 20. We have, as though Christ was pleading with you here today, tonight, he says, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Have that, have that enmity put away that the, as the sinner is enemies of God, he can be friends again. And this is what Paul is telling us. And for anybody who's out of Christ this night, I pray that you be reconciled to God. And we read of this, of how that this can be in Isaiah 53. We read of this, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He says that later on in the chapter, this chapter in 53, it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It says, for he bare their iniquities. He bore our iniquities. He bare the sins of many. And this is the Savior that I bring before you tonight, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only one who can save our souls is the wonderful Jesus Christ. But Paul finishes here in what we've read in chapter 6. And that is, when will we be saved? And if you look at verse number 2, Paul clearly tells us, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is not a message for tomorrow. This is not a message for next year. It is always a message for today. Now is the accepted time. Right here, right now. Because none of us know, as we're thinking about this morning, we're sinking in our sin, and we don't know when the Spirit will stop striving with us. We don't know if when we will die, and we do not know when Jesus will come back again. And we don't want to be like those five foolish virgins who were not prepared. Instead, I would encourage you this night, we would beseech you, we would pray in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God and be reconciled today because today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Don't leave it till later. Don't put it off. But I pray in Jesus' name that you will be saved today for time and for eternity. And all that cometh to me, I will no, no wise cast out. That's what Jesus said. And when we do come to him, Jesus said, that no man can ever pluck them out of my hand. So we have the Saviour who has his hands out like he was with Peter this morning. He reached out at the cry of Peter, Lord, save me. And if that is your cry tonight, in all earnest, earnest, that Jesus Christ will reach out his hand and save you. For today is the day that you, you are to be saved. So I pray you will turn from your sin this night and trust him as your only way of salvation. Amen. Well,